Hey everybody, I'm Peter and I'm fluent in over six million forms of communication. He's Mike and do you even know what he does when he's used on an organic being? Together we're Rebels Rebels, the podcast where we explore the Star Wars expanded universe through a deep dive on the animated series Star Wars Rebels. Our guest tonight is a comedian and a podcaster. He's got some really awesome podcasts and shows. His name, Asterios Kokonos. Welcome. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, we are. We are here. And so so are you. (laughs) Doesn't it kind of look, does it kind of make your guys hard that this is canon? Where it's just like, oh, if this cartoon wasn't canon, it would just be a mere trifle. But Disney says everything that happened in this fake cartoon is real. Honestly, yes. Yeah, like, pretty much. Completely, completely <laughs> candidly, anything I, that comes out and is canon, I'm like, well, I have to know what happens, even if it's, I mean, I'm reading all these stupid books, and a lot of them are really bad, but simply because they're canon, I, I do it. I need to know about the worst book. Oh, man. It, it, there's different kinds of bad. There yeah. is... I hate saying it, but there's a new Luke Skywalker book that just came out. Oof. And it's really hurting me. There's this. Okay, so I'm just. We're talking about droids in this episode. There's a story in this book. It's like short stories about Luke Skywalker. R2D2 gets kidnapped by slavers so he can work on some like hard mines in or something. Yeah. And How much of this Luke's guy's got- life is he going to spend getting kidnapped by slavers? <laughs> Sorry. I just knocked over everything in my kitchen. <laughs> so upset. Because okay. I'm so mad about this. That's the inciting incident of Star Wars is that these robots get captured by slavers. Seriously. You can't have that happen twice. Here's his brilliant plan. So Luke Skywalker wants to get R2-D2 back. So he dresses up like a protocol droid and gets captured uh-huh. by the same slavers and goes and works in these dangerous minds pretending to be a droid and then busts them out that way. He like takes is this off a children's his... book? No, it's uh, like a no. Well, I mean, this is all for children, but it's like aimed at like <laughs> <laughs> That being said, there are some really good ones. So uh, in my opinion, the best books are the ones that don't deal with established characters yeah. because they have the most free reign over characters that they invent themselves. So there's a book Lost Stars and it's like a, a kid who joins the rebellion and a girl who's in the empire and it's, you know, competing ideologies and burgeoning romance and, you know, kind of yeah. journeying through the galaxy. But they can do whatever they want with these characters because they're not... It's not Han Solo and Luke and Leia, and so it's being able to see a story in the Star Wars universe, and there's just so many limitations when you're writing a book about, you know, Han Solo. Wait a minute, did that Imperial and that Rebel get it on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, there's been a lot of getting it on in the new canon, and one of my favorite ones happens in... Uh, from a certain point of view <laughs> where you find out that the stormtrooper TK421 actually had a romantic relationship with our own Wilhuff Tarkin. Tell me more about this. Yeah, so he... Slowly. <laughs> so this, this is the stormtrooper that boards the Millennium Falcon to do the scan and then Han and the crew murder him and take his clothes. But it turns out... Now look... That- 
I'm so sorry. I just want everyone in the audience to know that they are explaining that for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they know I know who TK421 is. Oh, Not yeah. an idiot. Absolutely. I just want to yeah, make sure everyone's exactly. on board about that. Worry not, audience. Your host would never disrespect me like that. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes, me who R5D4 yeah. is. So it turns out I'm that. I'm talking about gonk droids. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. Okay. No, it's okay. So Tarkin. So, so Grandma of Tarkin and a stormtrooper had like a hot kind of. Yeah, class like, war relationship exactly like it, you could not be more close yeah he like secretly summons him to his chambers to like fix something in his like office and he's like Mm-mm. and i love that the stormtrooper has to think like he pretends like he's a w- rough working class man even though he's like you know somewhat educated he thinks tarkin you know admires him because he's like this uh, you know, underclass citizen. So he pretends to be like rough and manly and good with tools. Yeah. And I don't know a lot. It's uh, yeah. Does it work? Oh, it yeah. Oh, it works. <laughs> okay. I'd I'd be into that too. That sounds pretty hot. <laughs> oh, there's smoke coming out of the oven. Oh, this is no way to make a pizza. Oh, the smoke just keeps coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's so that, not going to stop just because I'm riffing about it, apparently. No. Nope. It could be a bad motivator. <laughs> <laughs> That's not cool. Wait a minute. <laughs> so that brings us to season one, episode two, Droids in Distress. <laughs> The rebel group intercepts an Imperial weapon shipment and unintentionally takes on an android duo. Why does it say android? Probably a typo. Yeah. Takes on a droid duo. Yep. So this whole episode is based around is the fact that they're low on supplies and need a job to make them money and get them food. So they go to uh, Visago uh, to get a job from him. Um, quick question to you guys. They're low on income uh-huh. on food. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else they can do besides work for a crime Lord? Cause I'm suggesting Uber. They have a ship. Um, nope. Only arms dealing. Okay. It's literally the only job prospect. There's they have no other ways to make money. One of them has magic powers. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like they could just go to a space casino on Nar Shada. Affect, affect some chance cubes Get rich, rich, rich And you know what? It's uh, totally cool with Qui-Gon Jinn's ghost Because yep. you're ripping off criminals uh, uh, Speaking of casinos There's a book coming out in like two weeks About a casino in the Star Wars universe Is it all about Sabacc? Probably Canto Bite Bright yeah, Canto Bright It's just Evidently, about a casino It's a setting from The Last Jedi I don't yeah. know anything about it yeah, I don't know. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. Probably won't read that one. There's no. going to be a casino planet in the new Star Wars movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds hot. Oh, <laughs> what yeah. if that's where Luke Skywalker lives? <laughs> yeah. We think that he went to do some mystical Jedi stuff, but really he just wants to retire and gamble like the old sad people in Reno. <laughs> yeah, he's an old, yeah, he's an old guy. <laughs> yeah. Old people love gambling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so they decide to do this weapons deal where they have to steal some weapons and give them to Visago. To do that, they enact a brilliant plan where they go to the Lothal spaceport 
and they there they see Imperial Minister Maketh Tua mm-hmm. and an Aqualesh arms trader named Amda Wabo. Yeah, Amda Wabo, which is eerily similar to Panda Baba. Both Aqualish, right? Yeah. Okay. I get Aqualish and Hammerheads confused a lot, though. So I might be wrong. Now, I'm t- now what? Now, I've always wondered about this. To us, Panda Baba, totally yep. great. In fact, it's an awesome name. Amada Wabo, terrible. <laughs> Just the worst. They're both nonsense, yep. guys. Both very. I don't know. What's the word for when they have, there's a lot of vowel sounds? Isn't there a word? There's a word for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No yeah, it is. Vowelorific. What was that? Vowelorific. It means it's a great day to be a vowel. Vowelorific. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll believe it. That's um, a so real word. Before we talk about the plan, I want to talk about this shuttle a little bit. Um, so I thought it was familiar. Have both of you been to Disneyland or Disney World? Disneyland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And have you been on Star Tours? The I sure one. have. Oh, you haven't been on the new Star Tours, Mike? No. Ooh, you should check it out. It's really cool. Um, but the old one, this is, I thought it was the same shuttle. It's not. It's similar. Um, but one thing that it does have is that droid in the front named RX-24. His name is Rex. That is the droid from the original Star Tours mm. that opened in the 1980s. And do you know who he was voiced by? No. He was voiced in the Disneyland and Disney World ride by Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee-wee Herman. And is he has reprised the role. So this droid in Rebels is also voiced by Paul Rubens. Sentience, please prepare for takeoff. Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Why is that? Pee-wee Herman really scared me as a kid, and I continue to feel uncomfortable about him. Uh, there was nothing specific, just everything about Pee-wee and that show as a kid freaked me out and made me feel weird. I guess I could see that. I mean, you're not wrong. He's a man boy. Who, who has a head in a box, <laughs> a magic head in a box. He sits on his friend, Cherry. He puts his butt on his friend's face. It does make me feel a little different about him sitting in that chair that is his friend and talks. <laughs> Sentient and he's friends with a guy named the King of Cartoons. And it's like, what do you mean you're the King of Cartoons? Who made you the King of Cartoons? Because you just seem like a guy that has some cartoons. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Is Pee-wee there? Yes, he is. May I tell him who's calling, please? Yes, you may. I am the King of Cartoons. One moment, please. It's for you, Pee-wee. It's the King of Cartoons. Thank you, Zizzy. Yeah, I like that. Uh, all right. So they get moving. Uh, Rex tells them that sentience, please prepare for takeoff. But before this happens, in walks C-3PO and R2-D2. So the ghost crew is seated on the shuttle. With uh, an Imperial officer. With the Maketua. T- uh, and an arms trader. Yep. Who, uh, they don't speak the same language. So C-3PO is their interpreter. This way, Mr. Wabo. We have seats in the front. 
what don't want. No bad little one. Where is that translator? Coming, Minister. Come along, Artu. He is technically in the service of the Imperial Senate. And to get the plan rolling, the ghost crew decides to get C-3PO and R2-D2 away from this duo so they can perform a bit of hive jinx and mess up their plan to get them away from the weapons. So, by the way, I like this scene a lot where like where they uh, they trick this Imperial lady into giving up the where the docking bay is for these guns. And I also, by the way, I also like that they're like, you know what? We don't know who we're selling these guns to, and we don't know what they're going to be used for, and they might be used for murder, but we got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to point out before we move on, there is a very specific little droid in the back of the ship. He So everyone at home, I am sure you've already seen this, Asterios. If you search uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 concept art, there's a very famous Ralph McQuarrie painting of them on Tatooine and C-3PO looks kind of like more human-like. It's kind of creepy. And R2-D2 looks like Chopper. And so that was the original concept for C-3PO and R2-D2. And if you look in the back of the shuttle, that droid is in the back of the shuttle. Hmm. So the original C-3PO's there. Yeah. Somebody farted on a napkin in 1975. <laughs> At Skywalker Ranch, they'd be like, this is a character out of this napkin fart. This, this, Ralph McQuarrie farted on this napkin. <laughs> ben Burt did the fart sound. That is basically what Rebels is built on. Basically. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Honestly, all, almost every character comes from some early concept art. So, and ships... Uh, weapons, droids, it's all like this guy, Johnston, and Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah. The guy who created it, Dave Filoni, was a huge fan of, like, all the nerdy stuff back in the 80s, like the toys and the Ralph McQuarrie stuff and the original music, so he's just jamming as much of that in there as possible. Like, he has, mm -hmm. like, ships that were never released in any of the movies, but were released by Kenner, and... The, the painting style is specific to Ralph McQuarrie's painting style. It's all over this place. Oh, this is a real... Look at this ship. This ship is from page 1000 of a crazy guy's rantings. Here's my defense of it. I like that they are taking the care to... Like, so one of the examples is the lightsaber. If you notice it... I don't know if there's a lightsaber in this episode, but if you notice the episode, the lightsaber from this series... It's like weird and weak and thin, just like Ben Kenobi's from A New Hope. And that's because they took time and they looked at the original tech behind the lightsaber back in the 70s and they tried to replicate that on the screen. And I like the fact that they took the time and did their homework and really studied the people who originally created the movies we love to show like an aesthetic that's really cool. I really like it. Opposed to, you know, if some other people who were involved with the prequels, maybe they would have just like, you know, put a bunch of cartoon gobbledygook on the screen and said, that looks cool. Or they would have given like R2D2 like laser eyes. 
Yeah. I can't believe you're shitting on an R2-D2 with laser eyes. <laughs> That's the best thing. Yeah. He's already got rocket jets. He can make an oil slick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's move on to the actual theft. So basically what happened was the the crew made it so that the droids got kicked to the back of the bus, mm-hmm. which I do not approve of. It is segregation. And they offered their services to be translators instead, because evidently Sabine knows like a million languages. So Sabine is now translating between this arms dealer and between the Imperial officer. And so what she does is she tells them that the weapons are in base 17, but they're really in base seven. And then they go to the right docking bay to steal all the guns um so the crew is in the right bay with the illicit crates and they start loading these guns up that visago asked them to steal as they're doing it they check what's inside and dun 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 they are (laughs) great sound effect dun 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 they are t7 ion disruptors that have been banned by the senate do we know what exactly visago has us stealing yet disruptors these were banned by the senate you can short circuit an entire ship with these that's not why they were banned yeah so apparently the senate still has power that's kind of interesting uh it's because as we know that will soon be disbanded once the 1977 movie comes out but at this point in time they seem to have some power yeah it's interesting that like this imperial officer has to deal with arms dealers and sneak around in the darkness to try to get these weapons because palpatine has some limits at this point or at least he pretends to so he doesn't get in too much trouble but that ends during a new hope when the senate is disbanded yeah. i'm telling you Palpatine's going to push for that disruptor ban because those disruptors can really fuck up the Empire. So Palpatine's going to and the senators are going to say like, oh, we must ban this weapon of war so there can never again be a, a, a cartoon planet won't die. But then it's like, no, they're just doing that to protect their, themselves. Well, someone else who's in league with that would be Zeb, who sees these ion disruptors, and he's pretty bummed out about it. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I mean, there's no hiding the. F- we we all know what happens. It's they were used to basically commit genocide on the planet Lasan. Yeah. So this episode has a couple dark turns. This being maybe the darkest turn so far. These T seven ion disruptors bother Zeb because they were essentially used to kill his people. Um, which makes sense. I guess I'd be disturbed by something. Like yeah. That. Um, yeah. So we see Tua and the arms dealer Wabo eventually figure out what's going on. And so they rush back to the right thing and see the crew stealing their disruptors. And so like Zeb hulks out cause he's on and yells never again, which, which... is so dark. Yeah. Uh yeah. Well, that's Let's I mean, let's be a little let's be explicit. Never again is specifically the credo used by the Zionists when they were forming the state of Israel. 
Uh, they were saying never again to the Holocaust, but to lighten things up, do me a favor, boys. Google never again Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Raphael. Because there's a, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fight Hitler, and at one point, Raphael punches Hitler and he goes, for the millions. <laughs> means of dead people it's from the it's from the comic book as you can imagine they, that wasn't on a kid's cartoon i mean what are they star wars rebels they're gonna talk about the holocaust yeah. um so we're dealing with a couple heavy things over here i know counterpoint those ion cannons do a pretty good job of f***ing up the star destroyers in orbit around hoth allowing the rebels to escape the clutches of admiral ozzel <laughs> so while you look at these ion disruptors as a tool of a holocaust the rebels are using them later that's right the rebels are the bad guys mm. see what i'm saying <laughs> you sound like an imperial apologist yeah i'm trying i'm just trying out the other sides of this <laughs> see how it feels does it feel how does it feel so far it feels pretty good i feel like i could spin a lot of darth what darth vader did it's like sorry he killed shock t or whatever <laughs> sorry like he slaughtered the young it's like i don't know what you expect out of this kid took him away from his mommy at age uh eight he's saying wizard and you're like yeah he'll do fine he should become a space knight <laughs> yippee <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they end up getting back on the ship and they have the crate, they have the weapons and Zeb is pretty upset still. He implores the crew, he implores Kanan to not sell them because he knows what they can do. But Kanan says, well, at least they're out of the hands of the Empire. Kanan, a word. Can it wait? If I don't confirm our rendezvous with Vizago, we'll have done all this for nothing. Yeah, about that. Maybe this time we don't sell to Vizago, eh? Maybe we get those disruptors out of circulation instead. At least we got them out of Imperial circulation. When I was translating, I found out they were shipping those T7s as prototypes, so the Empire could mass produce them on Lothal. Um... All the while, R2-D2 is eavesdropping on them. Mm -hmm. Zeb goes back to the bunk, kicks Ezra out of the cabin, which evidently they're bunkmates. Yeah, they share, they share a bedroom. Pretty cute. He goes and complains to Hera and is like, Zeb's being mean. And Hera lays it out and says the Empire used the T-7 rifles to violently clear out the world Lasan. And Zeb was one of the few survivors of the genocide, and none of his people are currently on Lasan. Yeah, and okay, so Hera says, "Do you know what these ion disruptors do to it, biologic, yeah. beings, biological, organic, beings, matter. organic matter?" And I wanted to know the answer. I what, don't know. <laughs> what do they do to organic matter? <laughs> From everything I understand, they're made to take down vehicles. Yeah, and shields and disrupt basic. Yeah, they're like they're like an EMP cannon. Yeah, yeah. So, so what does an EMP cannon do to an organic being? Well, more importantly, what does an EMP cannon do to an organic being that, like, just a regular laser cannon wouldn't? It's like now, yeah. Look, if the Empire had used the laser guns, they all have that blaster rifles. <laughs> There would have been big holes in their chest, but because they use these ion cannons, their chests got fried like eggs. It's that's why it's so bad. It's like, come on, those guys were dead no matter what gun the Empire was using. Seriously, like that's what I'm wondering is like it's not like these were like WMDs or something that was giant bomb that was gonna just like kill thousands of people. 
they seem like they're just rifles. So like well, they would still yeah. have to walk around and shoot people. Because they use them in the end of the episode and they're just like, oh yeah, it's like a laser gun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in my mind, and this is based on absolutely nothing, but just what I assumed, I was thinking like the, when you shot these, if you were standing, a bunch of organic beings were standing next to each other it would create like a chain effect and like mass wipe out groups of people. I don't know why I thought that or what oh. that's based upon. Uh, if you have any thoughts about that or thoughts about genocide, hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so we're back on Lothal. Um, Sabine has been talking to R2-D2, and R2-D2 says that his real mission was to keep the T-7s out of Imperial hands, and that his master will pay handsomely for the two's return. Baloney. That is what anyone would say if they were captured. Yeah, I was just so, trying to help you. Yeah. Not going in their favor, while R2-D2 is pleading innocent, C-3PO sneaks to the ship and snitches on the Imperials. He calls Callus and says, by golly, we're being held by these ruffians. Come get us. We're on Lothal. Which seems in character for C-3PO. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and at this point, R2-D2, well, mostly C-3PO. I don't know. He just doesn't look good. Well, he doesn't, isn't he always suggesting that they immediately surrender to the Empire? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. If anything, it's like very in line with his, he's very self-preservationist, this guy, which is why he's in every movie. That is true. Guy knows how to dodge a, guy knows how to dodge a bullet, this guy. So I wonder, do you think like even in the later movies, is he just scared and cowardly or does he have questionable allegiances? Like, is his heart just really with that, with the Imperial Senate and he just wants to go back to them? Well, it makes sense to him. It's like a big organized structure full of decorum and motions <laughs> and robes. It's like everything C-3PO mm. wants. Etiquette. Yeah. It's the mo- it's it's dripping with etiquette. Yeah. And protocol. <laughs> this guy knows protocol. You got to eat with this fork or you're saying fuck you to the Nemoidians. <laughs> so I want to point something out when we're looking at this thing, when C-3PO snitching. If you look at the ship, all the Imperial officers have their hats pulled down on their eyes. So anyone who's like working at a computer console, there's a bunch of them and they have their hats pulled down though. And you'll notice, if you look closely, that's because they're all the same character model. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Some of them have different colored hair, like, peeing out of the bottom of their hat. But basically, they use the exact same character model to fill the ship and then just, like, pulled the hat down, hoping you wouldn't notice that they're all the same person. Video game crowds. Every time I'm playing hockey. Yeah. Same person, different color. If you keep your eye out for it in this series, it gets uh, pretty noticeable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we get down to where this arms deal is going to happen, the drop-off point where Vizago agrees to buy the T-7s, but right before the deal can go down, Imperial freighter carrying two ATDP walkers is headed on its way. Vizago freaks out and says, like, you were followed, and uh, pulls a pretty dick move and says, I'm not paying for these, but still takes half of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, and more power to him because the rebels don't stop him. It's the art of the deal. It's the art of the deal. So, Vizago takes off. Kanan doesn't do anything about it, even though he's a Jedi with a lightsaber and force powers. He just lets him go. 
but he resolves not to let the disruptors fall into Imperial hands and orders Sabine to destroy them. So this big battle ensues and R2-D2 helps out and gives Sabine an idea that if they overload these disruptors, it'll basically cause a giant exploder explosion and destroy them so the Empire can't use them. Why is there a button you can push on these guns that will make them turn into bombs? <laughs> Like, if I bought a handgun and they're like, well, just make sure you don't turn this knob because <laughs> the gun that you're spending money on and are relying on for defense will explode in your hand. You'll be closest to the explosion. I'm failing to see why that's not awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you have you have, a gun, if, you have a gun and a grenade. But what if it's in my pocket and it gets jostled? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? I don't want my cell phone to have like an overheat and explode <laughs> well maybe that's why they were banned by the senate maybe it was just like a recall situation they don't care about genocide they're just like these things are randomly exploding in people's pockets now we're talking okay that's a reason i can get behind <laughs> yeah huh. nice save there uh something i i want to call out that happens that's a, kind of a weird is that zeb goes to fight callus because callus like pulls out this bow rifle which he had taken from a lasan high honor guard that he personally killed during the genocide that of he Lassan. Only the honor guard of Lassan may carry a bow rifle. I know! <laughs> I removed it from a guardsman myself! <laughs> I was there when Lassan fell. I know why you fear those disruptors. I gave the order to use them. And he challenges Zeb. And then when Zeb runs in to fight him, Kanan says, that fool Asat's going to get himself killed. And I felt kind of weird about him. Like, call him out by race? Yeah, like, that'd be like me talking to him and being like, oh, that Persian is hilarious. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm just a person, Kanan. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel a little uncomfortable about that. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. Someone was like, that damn Greek ate all the pizza. <laughs> Be like, you can just say Asterios did. You don't need I, to. I think we'll get the subtext if you just say Asterios. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a yeah. lot of shit happening in this episode. Yeah. The back of the bus stuff, a lot of weird name calling, genocide like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when the battle first starts, the transport drops off two walkers, put, put them down on the ground, the transport stops and lets all the troops out and then Kanan grabs the rifles and shoots one of the walkers and instantly disables it so why didn't he just grab the other one and shoot the other walker or why didn't he grab the, another rifle or the same rifle and just shoot down the transport before it even it even docked yeah i would have shot like everything bad at once <laughs> yeah if the whole concept of this thing is that these rifles are so dangerous that they can't be in the hands of the empire then this battle should have been done way quicker. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. These guns just seem... These guns don't seem particularly, like, lethal. I don't know why <laughs> I would use this over a lightsaber if I was going to commit a genocide. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a weapon for a more civilized time. <laughs> <laughs> we already um, know lightsabers are good at genocide. Because the... <laughs> They use them to genocide the whole... Okay, well, maybe not... At least a hate crime. Because those Jedi were targeted for who they were. Not what they were doing or what data uh -huh. crystals they made. They were targeted for who they were. Hate crime. 
lightsaber. <laughs> Excellent at that. Just send down 12 lightsabers. Why? I don't know why you're using ion cannons on organic. Unless, of course, this entire race of aliens has like pacemakers. <laughs> They're just called like the pacemaker people or peeps for short. <laughs> then I get it. But if not, man. What if the ion disruptors actually shot lightsabers? That's why they're so scary. <gasps> That's crazy. I love it. So does the lightsaber stay lit after it's pierced yeah. someone? Yeah. It's like uh, when you see Darth Vader, like throw it kind of like a boomerang. Yeah. That's how it shoots out. It just goes and mows down anyone in its path. I can, I can get down with that. Um, so Callus and Zeb are fighting now. All the while, Callus is taunting Zeb about how he killed all of his people. Oh, so He's up. super proud of it, which is like, all right, take it down a notch, that guy. <laughs> we, we get it. We get it. You orchestrated the genocide. He, like, you're in the empire. Like, that's, that's like baby homework. Yeah. And how he personally killed an honor guard and took his weapon and... There's an explosion and Zeb gets off balance and then Callus zaps him with the bow rifle and gets him down on the ground and he is about to take the lethal blow when Ezra freaks out and just reaches out and force pushes Callus against a wall and knocks him out. Yeah. So one of his real first uses of the force. Yep. I want to say that's a pretty good use of the force because that is how you would use your magic powers. Like you would just kind of like freak out and you, like they would happen and like, you know. Yeah. And by doing that, he like shows Kanan that, you know, he's a will make a potentially good pupil or pad on. Yeah, totally. That's a cool reveal. I mean, of all the things that are terrible about this episode, I like that part. Yeah. Uh, so this we're we're kind of coming to our final moments here. Uh, Zeb, Kanan, Ezra, they all get back on the ghost, and they take off uh, to deliver the droids back to their rightful owner. With this great reveal that it's Senator Bail Organa, uh, but he doesn't um, identify himself to the ghost crew. And uh, I love I love the ship they dock on. It's the CR ninety Corvette. Well, or it's the specific. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the Tanty four. Yeah, exactly. Which is I think that's pretty cool that it makes an appearance in this episode. Um, yeah, and there's Bail Organa who pays the Ghost Crew for the return of his droids, so they were able to make money. Yeah. And Or Organa uh, says, and he says this is a Jedi saying, but I cannot confirm or deny that the simplest gesture of kindness can fill a galaxy with hope so that's a jedi seems weird to be a specific jedi saying like it's like saying like be kind to your friends and neighbor is like an italian saying it's <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know if you really called dibs on that sentence right there jedi <laughs> also if senator ted cruz <laughs> Was like, thank you for returning these robots that admitted to you that they were working with terrorists to thwart the federal government's confiscation of genocidal weapons. Hi. 
<laughs> I'm Ted Cruz. What are you doing, Jimmy Smith? C-3PO is not worth it. He just so, blew his whole cover. That is true. Actually, yeah, that's... Well, maybe they just don't care about politics because you would think that they'd be able to notice this prominent yeah. ruler of a planet and senator and be like, wait, wasn't that... Wasn't that Ted Cruz who just paid us for terrorist <laughs> activity? The reason they picked Alderaan is that it would make an effective demonstration. It's like, yeah. this is like a famous planet. If I just blow up Dan till we know one's going to give him two <laughs> shits. I'm going to blow up like Chicago, the planet. Seriously. Like, this is the senator of planet Chicago. <laughs> and everyone's just like, yeah, thanks for these five bars, which I'm being told are worth a lot, but which don't look like a lot on screen. Yeah. Because Princess Leia essentially gave Han Solo yeah, like, like four eight. foot lockers worth of credits. <laughs> Seriously. The money situation in Star Wars really makes no sense to me. Wait a minute. The currency deflated. Oh. Well, yeah. And also I'm wondering at the at that moment when Han gets all those credits. So Alderaan is gone. And yeah, maybe he's getting paid in Alderaan credits. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, is that like an Alderaan currency? I don't know. <laughs> That's why Jabba's still mad at him because he tried to pay him off in this currency that doesn't exist anymore. Only money. All the Alderaan banks are gone now. Here's what you got to realize. Yep. If today, if today the U.S. Senate was disbanded, <laughs> I think that might do something to the price of the dollar. I'm, I'm going to say right now, not good for the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> We're the uh, currency of last. We're the we're the world's reserve currency because of our stability and strength. And all of a sudden, Nancy Pelosi's out on the street looking for work. <laughs> no good. So maybe that's why Princess Leia has to give him like a billion credits. I think that makes sense. I figured it out. <laughs> um, so some interesting things about Bail Organa in this. Um, so. He is voiced by Phil Lamar of Mad TV fame. I used to work on Mad TV. I was, I was a researcher on, worked there for four years. Okay. I, unfortunately, I was not there during the Phil Lamar seasons. Phil Lamar, of course, played the famous uh, not UPS guy. Yeah. Um, and so he kneels down and he tells R2-D2 after the ghost crew leaves, like, all right, every, all right. Tell me everything you know about your new rebel friends. Um, they said it. They said the name of the show. <laughs> you recorded everything, old friend. Good. We'll focus on the Imperials later. For now, show me what you have on your rebels. Um, and they framed it specifically in the same way that. Leia is framed in A New Hope when she's talking to R2-D2, so they're making connections. Mm -hmm. So Bale did it first. And they shoot it in the same location, the Tantive Ooh. 4. True. Yeah. And, okay, real talk. They keep showing me Jimmy Smith like I'm supposed to give two shits. <laughs> yeah, so Jimmy Smith shows up in Rogue One. And it's like, oh, Jimmy Smith is here. That's great. It's like, well, he doesn't do anything great. <laughs> And then in this cartoon, too, it's like, whoa, the J-Man, Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa, the honorable Bail Organa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how important this guy is. It seems like he's constantly running around trying to undermine the Senate. And I just want to see some, I want to see action. 
do something. Pass, pass a tax cut. Pass this tax cut bill, even if it ends up really hurting the economy. Like, really hurting it. Do the same with Obamacare. Like, I want you to get rid of it because I want to see things happen. I'm like a child watching fireworks. <laughs> things are happening. Do you know what? In his defense, he does drive Padme or Obi-Wan to the hospital to see the birth of uh, his soon-to-be daughter. So, uh, well, who else is going <laughs> to drive Yoda? That's a, that's a man of Obi-Wan. action. Yeah. Obi-Wan was busy. Yeah. Um, so, that's basically the episode. Um, we do a little thing when we grade the episode where we rank it from the worst thing in star Wars to the best thing in star Wars. And then we give this one kind of a grade in between. So Mike, do you want to give an example of how this works? Sure. So my scale is on a scale of C3PO was created by Anakin Skywalker, which uh, irks me to no end to Luke gazing into the twin sunset on Tatooine as John Williams binary sunset themes plays which is so magical. I give this episode a C-3PO and R2-D2 scene in Rogue One, which translates to a D. Uh, So, you know, I try to keep it connected. It's like a D. Uh, This episode within the season is a fairly standalone throwaway that, I don't know, I don't love, I don't hate. So my scale, from a scale of Jar Jar Binks being farted on by an EOP, uh, to Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader dueling in the Emperor's Chamber in Return of the Jedi, um, I would give this episode the rescue plan from Jabba's Palace. <laughs> it's kind of fun, but it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> and it's kind of bananas, uh, which roughly translates to like a C minus. Yeah. All right, so Asterios, do you, uh, we're putting you on the spot, but do you have a scale uh, from best to worst to best thing in Star Wars? Yes. All right. From that terrible song they play in the not cantina in The Force Awakens mm. to Dexter Jetster and his weird stained white shirt and his four big gross wow. arms. So Dexter Jetster is your favorite thing from Star Wars? He goes all the way back around. It's so bad. If if, if there was a fire and I could only save director Orson Krennic or Dexter Jetster, <laughs> I would save Dexter Jetster. If wow. you were like, they're all in this house. Forlum, <laughs> Bossick, Dengar, all your favorite bounty hunters, even Boba Fett, they're all in this house. But Dexter Jester's over the... I, like. By the time he got to Jet, I'd be running to save Dr. Jester from this fire. <laughs> Bold. So so where does this episode land on that scale, then? I feel like it's Conja Club. Oh. I don't know much about Conja Club. <laughs> but it's the first new thing I've seen in a while where I'm like, huh. I kind of like... I kind of like that Han Solo is being chased by the space Japanese... Like <laughs> the space Yakuza want to kill Han Solo and also the entire cast of train spotting. <laughs> they want Han Solo. It's like both Liam and Noel Gallagher 
one hand they're like maybe you're gonna pass those credits baby hands <laughs> after all so what's the that? rebellion falls <laughs> today is gonna be the day that we buy these wrath cards back my now you should have found out alderaan was under attack <laughs> I don't believe in any ancient religion. Wait, I do. I'm being a joke. I think we have a new intro song. (laughs) (laughs) At least a new ringtone. So what's the letter grade on that? Like a B plus. Okay, look. I like this cartoon. I don't know if I would have liked this cartoon if it didn't have R2-D2 and C-3PO in it. Mm. They really... They really, they really want me to care. And the Tant of Four is in it. But C-3PO and R2-D2, I love them. I love them so much. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I, uh, my name is Asterios Kokonos. You can follow me on Twitter at Asterios. And uh, should I promote? I got a new album out called The President Baby Pranks. And... Uh, it's me going undercover <laughs> at uh, like this Hollywood scam thing where idiots pitch movies to other idiots. <laughs> and I go and I pitch the worst movies of all time to these people and I tape record it. And you can hear it. Uh, if you just Google the president baby pranks, it should come up. It's on Bandcamp. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Really thank appreciate you for it. having me. All right. Well, uh, it's that time of the episode again where Peter and I branch out on our own and uh, do a little deep dive into the EU. Yeah. Uh, So this episode's character portrait features none other than Garazeb Aurelios. Mm. Um, Garazeb Aurelios? There it is. There's the Hera. (laughs) Great line. Great line. Classic film. Uh Classic line in film history. Yep. Um, So Garazeb Aurelios, commonly known as Zeb, is a Lasat. He hates insects, especially <laughs> spiders. This is true. Um, this uh, you'll find that out in future episodes. Cool. Uh, his home world was Lasan. Um, he the Lasans originated on Lyra San, uh, which is an it's a planet in the unmapped wild space beyond oh. the outer rim. That's uh, where the first order yes hid for yes. a while and gathered their forces. Yeah, so the Outer Rim is completely... If if the Outer Rim is difficult for the Empire to, you know, watch over or control, Wild Space is completely impossible. They can't. Mm. So, uh, each, ha- each uh, Lasat has a unique fur pattern that may rapidly change with age. So, I we've confirmed that that is <laughs> fur on Zeb's body, and I like your analogy that it's yeah. kind of like uh, sw- not sweet. like uh, like velvet, like, like cr- velvet. Yeah, it's like a crushed, so crushed like velvet. think of a j- crushed velvet jacket that Prince would wear. That's what he feels like and looks like. What's what's the difference between crushed velvet and just velvet? What's crushed velvet? 
right? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, I shouldn't forget. Let's, I let's that. save that for our tailoring podcast. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's weird. Um, so some humans consider Lasat's smell to be offensively horrible. Like they cannot stand it. Um, I don't know who that is, but <laughs> like you, like moi. Um, the Lasats they believe in Ashla, a personification of the Force and the spirit of the galaxy. What's funny is I actually am in the middle of reading Ahsoka, um, that junior novel that it deals with you know what Ahsoka's up to after the Clone Wars, and mm-hmm. her her name when she's in hiding is Ashla, mm-hmm. and. I I wonder if it's like she, you know it's just like I don't want to call myself Ahsoka, so I'll just say Ashla instead. And I go she, by Ashley now. <laughs> cool, Ashley Tano. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, prior to joining the Ghost Team, Zeb was captain of the San Honor Guard, as we hear him say, where he was trained with a bow rifle. Mm. Uh, he held the rank of captain and was charged with protecting the royal Lasan family and his people at large. All of that came to an end when the Galactic Empire devastated his home world. Mm. As we saw this episode with those T7 ion disruptor rifles, they utterly wiped out and nearly destroyed all of the people, save a few, including his grandma. So grandma's cool. <laughs> by the, so by the age of 39, he joins the Spectres. Uh, cell, so he's about thirty nine in this one. So I'm guessing. So he's the oldest member of the crew. Yeah, but he, yeah, he he, obviously, as we've seen in this episode, he's haunted by the genocide of his people. Um, and that is a little bit, you know, it's an insight into a psychological look into why mm-hmm. he so has this rough exterior, but really is a sweetheart on the inside. Um, he cares strongly for people, others negatively affected by the empire. Um, despite his essentially good heart, um, he is quick to ch- go straight up Hulk on people, as we've seen. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty rad. Um, and I don't want him ever to lose that side of himself. Mm. Just be a blackout drunk. I love <clears throat> it. Um, due to his experiences during the siege of Lasan, Seb believed that he had failed to protect his people and the Lasan royal family. And this guilt and shame led him to hide the fact that he was once a captain of the Lasan huh. High Honor Guard from even his fellow rebels. But that kind of slowly comes out, you know, when he's when he feels safe and nurtured and accepted by this group. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I'm sure not a lot of people are well versed in Lasan history, but yeah. wouldn't the bow rifle give him away? Uh, only it says in this episode only yeah like honor guard are allowed to carry that yeah uh sure so great plan Zeb yeah I guess that's a hole that's a plot hole but you know got him there are no essentially there are no other Lasats to call him out either so he could say he was the president <laughs> um some of his the background on his character design comes from uh, Ralph McQuarrie's early uh kind of conceptions of Chewbacca. Oh, uh, yeah. Chewbacca, you <laughs> slud dog. Um, that's my best. <laughs> that was fantastic. Was that good? Yeah, that's uh, great. I love when it says that. Chewbacca, <laughs> you still bumming around with this guy? <laughs> um, yeah, so, come from Ralph McQuarrie. So there, that's a, um, it's surprising how little information we have on this character. He's probably the least developed in the uh. EU and 
um that surprises me i of of the ghost crew up to this point he is the least developed character yeah and now that i'm thinking about it out of all the ghost crew he's the one that i can't really think of any books or comics with him no and a lot of people have kind of I've heard not a lot. I've heard of like I've heard maybe seven. <laughs> Some real Zeb heads out uh, there have uh, compared him to Jane Cobb oh. of Firefly. Yeah, if you've ever watched Firefly, kind of this. He's the just pretty rough and tough. You know, he's the muscle of the yeah. crew, right? But he's also got like this dark past and kind of sensitive. In yeah, spirit. he's kind of a teddy bear. Um, so I've heard that comparison, which I like, and I was like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. But uh, yeah, there's a little character portrait, a little insight on. Uh, Gerazeb Aurelios. Sick. Alright, Mike. You ready to grab onto that ladder? Take one step at a time up each rung and jump off the diving board into this week's deep dive. What the fuck <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> it's a deep dive. Oh. This time we're talking about Bail Organa and the Rebellion and a little bit of C-3PO and R2-D2. Like, what's just, just, just what's going on with them? Huh? All right. All right. I'm curious. Where have they been? What they been doing? I am curious. You cook okay, up. Right. Chips on the table. I'm curious. Cool. So, the timeline of I meant C- cards on the table. I mixed <laughs> up that the idiom. Okay. Uh, all right. So C three PO and R two D two. I was kind of interested in their ownership. Like who who's had them and how have they been passed along? It's pretty sloppy. I could. I don't think titles were really exchanged. So I don't know how much on the open up it is. But here's something you might like. Based on your judge on your uh, judging scale that you do at the end of each mm-hmm. episode, C three PO was not actually built by Anakin. I love that. So the earliest records indicate that his first job, C three PO's first job, was programming binary load lifters, which are very similar to moisture evaporators in most respects, as we know. Mm-hmm. At one point, he was a protocol droid for the chief negotiator for the Manicron system. Okay, sure. So this was all before Anakin, and he fell into disrepair and was junked on Tatooine. So Anakin actually found him in a junk pile and repaired him. So when he says, thank the maker, he's not talking about Anakin. Is that that canon? Yep. That is canon. I don't know where it's from. I'm assuming it's canon. It's, I wrote it on Wikipedia. All right. Okay. Um, So after Anakin left... He left 3PO with his mother, Shmi, who married into the Lars family and brought 3PO to work on the Lars homestead. After Shmi's death, Anakin took 3PO and gave him to Padme to serve her in the Republic Senate. Where does that happen? I guess we see it's off screen. Yeah, it's off screen. So in clones, he comes back. Kills all the sand people. Oh, his mom's dead. So much. And then, genocide. like, I like to think that he's just like, 
I'm mad. I'm taking my droid with me and going home. And the Lars are just like, wait, I thought he was our droid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he took, he takes 3PO off Tatooine and just, I guess, gives it to Padme because he's probably more suited to a political position than on a moisture farm. Sure. So meanwhile, R2-D2 was first put into service under Queen Amidala. So when we see him in Phantom Menace, I don't know how long he's been active for, but that's his first job. Um, he was a repair droid on the Royal ship. So although still under ownership of Padme, technically speaking, he became Anakin Skywalker's astromech droid. So that's one of the parts that I'm like, I don't know how that went down. Like, did they just do like a droid trade? Just like, hmm. Hey, I like your gold droid. Hey, I like your, uh, blue droid. You want to trade? I think they're like pogs. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so after Padme's death and Anakin's turn to the dark side, Bail Organa took control of both droids and wiped 3PO's memory due to his talkative nature. I thought he, okay. Again, that's another like weird transaction. Like, oh, I guess no one's using them. So he just takes them. Wait, okay. Cool. I, I, I guess you'll explain it, but I already have a question. Keep going yeah. before I interrupt. Um, so I think I know what your question is. So let's talk about Bail Organa first. Okay. Uh, so he's the viceroy of Alderaan. So that was something I learned. Alderaan doesn't have a king. Leia's a princess. Leia's mom was a queen, but he was the viceroy. Viceroy. And he was an influential viceroy. Viceroy. I don't know. I can't do that impression. At the time of A New Hope, the Senate still had some power, and Bail Organa was much loved and respected for his unending fight for justice. He was also disillusioned with the corruption of the Senate. Um, and so Bail Organa worked behind the scenes to establish the Rebel Alliance and, with his adopted daughter, Leia. Um, so that's kind of, I thought that was kind of interest, interesting. They both had a diplomatic immunity as part of the Senate, and that's how they used their power to aid rebels throughout the galaxy. So at the time of A New Hope, actually until Tarkin says that the Senate's been disbanded in New Hope, the Senate has a little bit of power. That's why they have to be kind of careful when they're taking over the Tanty Four in the beginning, and that's why Leia tries to pull the, this is a diplomatic mission, because she technically has diplomatic immunity. So. Okay. Okay. Can I interject yeah. for a second? I thought that C-3PO and R2-D2 D2 were in the charge of uh, Captain Ramus Antilles. So that, okay. I'm going to get to it, Mike. Okay, so I thought they went straight to him. Nope. So, technically speaking, they're still owned by Bail Organa. Yeah. But Antilles is the, cap is the captain of the Tanti-4, and those droids serve on the Tanti-4. So, Raymond Antilles is the captain of R2-D2 and C-3PO, but Bail Organa is the owner. Okay. I'm just going to read you straight off Wikipedia this entry because the language says that after after uh after the birth of Pot Padme Amidala's twins Antilles was given charge of Amidala's two droids R2D2 and C3PO and was instructed to wipe the latter's memory Antilles knew that Leia was Bale's adoptive daughter and over the years began to serve her as well. Yeah, as so her father. the key there is given charge. So he's in charge of them. 
But if you look at Bill Organa's Wikipedia entry, it makes it clear that he's the owner of them. All right. And okay, until, I see. Yeah. So eat that, Mike. No. <laughs> uh, so. How do you like them Jogans, Peter? So during the age of the Empire, R2-D2 and C-3PO, they were still owned by Bill Organa, but they served on the Tantive Four, and he needed to get the Death Star plans out of Scarif and into the hands of the Rebellion, so they just took the ship, the Tantive Four, and just like hauled ass. While they did that, Bail Organa returned back to Alderaan, where, unfortunately, we know his fate. It was not good. Mm. He got blowed up. Around this time, um, Emperor Palpatine disbanded the Senate, taking total control of the Empire. Yeah. yeah. After the fall of the Empire, though, C-3PO continued to serve Leia Organa in the New Republic Senate, and R2-D2 served her brother, Luke. In the book Bloodlines, this is a spoiler, but it's totally interesting to the character, so if you want to know... If you don't want to know this, fast forward. A recording of Bale's voice yeah. discussing Leia's true parentage this is a great part of this book. was discovered and played in front of the Senate, destroying her political career. So basically she was running for office, for higher office, and a smear ad was like, she's Vader's daughter, and everyone in the universe knows now. Yeah. So that's why Leia retreated back into the military life to lead the resistance against the First Order. Yeah. So little known fun fact. You ready for this one? Sure. Around this time, C-3PO had a red arm, which yeah. made it very hard to recognize him. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I got. Uh, well, thank you, Peter, for that excellent deep dive. Yep. Off your strangely metaphoric... Diving off the high dive, people. Yeah, that, that thing We're is... diving off the high dive. Never done it, but whatever. Uh, okay, so uh, until uh, our next episode, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can search for us there on... Uh, just type in Rebels, Rebels Pod, and mm-hmm. you'll find us. Uh, you can follow us on iTunes, and please read the, leave us a scathingly good review. <laughs> it seriously helps so much. Uh... Thanks again to Asterios. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Asterios. Yeah. A-S-T-E-R-I-O-S. And you can find his Patreon at patreon.com slash Asterios. There's some hilarious stuff there. It is. He's, he's, he's a hidden gem. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, until next time, guys, be brave out there and don't look back. Bye. Yeah.